the Dolomites are so beautiful. They are so exciting to see. Uh, those rock formations are uh, not something like in other parts of the Alps. So the one who is traveling to Italy should definitely spend uh, at least several days there. Episode 271, Hiking the Italian Alps with Denis Bulachenko. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville. Today I have Denis Bulachenko with us. Denis grew up in central Russia, and he and his family moved to Italy near the Alps two years ago, and he has a fascinating job where he develops uh, software for outdoor applications, which means that he gets to spend a lot of time doing testing by hiking in the Swiss Alps and the Italian Alps and also in the Apennines in Italy. And so we have a cool show for you about international travel, about hiking in the Alps, and I'm really excited to visit with Dennis about all this. Dennis, welcome to the program. Nice to be here. Hello. So Dennis, let's start out with a little bit of the backstory. You grew up in central Russia, and so what was that like? Oh, well, it was very, very much different than it is now. So um, uh, Russia back then, it was very much like USSR. It just, that was uh, my childhood uh, was when just it just collapsed. Wow. And uh, it was a big time of uncertainty. Uh, I lived in a, in a small town in central Russia. Uh, it wasn't even Moscow. So the uh, biggest uh, dream for me was moving to Moscow and see all that um, uh, life of the big town, big city, uh, all the opportunities there. So um, back then I dream, dreamt of moving to uh, the capital of Russia. Uh, we didn't have any kind of products diversity uh, like uh, in any kind of products uh, food uh, electronics uh, whatever um, outdoor gears uh, so it was kind of a boring life i would say <laughs> uh, but but i think it made me a little bit stronger <laughs> in some sense uh, and uh, due to the biggest uncertainty and the Soviet uh, collapse, uh, I had probably only one option of uh, moving to Moscow. Uh, it was to uh, get into the military school where uh, where they uh, provided food, uh, a place to live. <laughs> And uh, and fair good amount of money uh, to live in Moscow, so um, 
most of the childhood I spent preparing for that military school to take my chance to get to Moscow. Ah, so military school was your ticket into the big city. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's that's wild. And so I assume after military school, did you have to do some time in the military? Uh, yes, I was the uh, I was obliged uh, to to spend at least five years there. Uh, so yeah, I was. <laughs> and then uh, after that, what led you to move to Italy with your family? That's it's, it's a fascinating story. Yeah, well, it's. Uh, it's a very long story because uh, after working for government, uh, for military, uh, I wasn't allowed to travel uh, outside of Russia. Back then, I was available, uh, allowed to visit uh, Ukraine, uh, Belarus, uh, and uh, some former Soviet countries, uh, which had... Um, visa-free travels. So... Uh, I spent uh, all those years traveling uh, Russia. So I was on Far East, uh, Kamchatka, <laughs> Vladivostok, <laughs> uh, in Siberia, Lake Baikal. Uh, I spent a lot of time in uh, Russian South uh, Caucasus Mountains. Um, it was like Black Sea. Uh, and... Uh, all that time, I dreamt of one day when I'm allowed to go outside to start uh, traveling and see, uh, and at least see Europe, uh, which is, was like so close. A lot of my friends was were visiting it and uh, brought a lot of photos. So I was eager to start uh, traveling. So after five years, after I ended my work for military, and uh, government uh, i got my uh, finally got my uh, foreign passport and my travels started i think that period of waiting developed some kind of travel bug in me so i started to travel like crazy i was using every opportunity to to go somewhere like conference uh, professional courses uh, whatever um, I think I started with Amsterdam, and it was such a big and drastic change from my usual life in Moscow. <laughs> so uh, for several years in sequence in a row, I was using all the days uh, allowed uh, to be in European Union, uh, like for uh, for the visa. Like you're allowed to stay, I think, 90 days in half a year. And after that, you have to leave. And I always, always used all the days. <laughs> used them all up. <laughs> yeah, until there was no left. <laughs> Just not to uh, breach the limit. So you said uh, that Amsterdam was a big contrast to Moscow. Um, yeah. In what way? What was the had the biggest impact on you? Well... Uh, there were two things, I think. Uh, first one was the canals mm. and like, walking there on a shiny day with sun. And another one was that 
the buildings were small, uh, like three to four stories, and they were such a, uh, a nice design and uh, the beauty of those old buildings, which are like four, five hundred years long, uh, kept that story like used previously as a place to store goods <laughs> when Amsterdam was uh, a big city for the trade. Such a long history of the place, it usually struck you when you walk uh, the streets of a city which has several hundred years of history and a lot of events took place there. Uh, it made you change a lot uh, because in Russia and in Moscow particularly, uh, most of the buildings are probably 100 years old and mm. Uh, and they are not in a good shape. Uh, of course, you could find some uh, some really interesting pieces, palaces, um, and many other places. Uh, but but that uh, a lot of change. And another one important thing was that uh, there were more bicycles in the Amsterdam uh, in Amsterdam than citizens of Amsterdam. <laughs> right. It looks like everyone has at least two of them. Right. Well, that's fascinating. So then, um, what led you to Italy? Um, I and my wife, when we got child, we understood that it's pretty important to spend some time uh, on a beach <laughs> with a child to uh, make her learn to swim and uh, to get some vitamins <laughs> uh, because in Russia it's much colder and the uh, climate is very much different. So uh, you need a lot of energy from summertime. So we got our energy in uh, Greece and uh, southern Italy. And at one moment of our trail, we actually liked uh, and now like a lot car trips. We do them pretty regularly. Uh, while driving through Italy, we thought maybe that would be great to live here and uh, be kind of closer to all the interesting destinations which we are interested in. So like uh, closer to the beaches and uh, to the mountains. Uh, so that that idea was like a small spark, but uh, it developed pretty fast. I think in, in one week after our return with that idea in mind, uh, I submitted documents for Italian visa. And to my, to my surprise, to my biggest surprise, they accepted it almost immediately. <laughs> So, well. yeah, it, it like took just several weeks or maybe one week and I was free to go there. And it was like, OK, I'm uh, we are allowed to live there. What's next? <laughs> so that was a huge change. Are you uh, allowed to stay in Italy indefinitely now on your visa? Is it a work visa? Uh, it's uh, it's a work visa. I'm allowed to work there and to uh, work on my own projects, and I have to extend it. But uh, the the process is pretty much automatic. 
So I just have to submit documents in the end of the year that I have enough uh, enough funds to live to make a living there, and that's okay. And that that's it. so probably they they might extend it and make it. Uh, for now, it's called temporary visa, uh, temporary right to stay. But I think in in a year or two, I would be allowed to get uh, permanent residence. Right. You know, it's fascinating to me, Dennis, is how much the the times have changed. How wonderful it is that now you're able to go be in Italy and live there with your family when, boy, just even a generation ago, no one was allowed in or out of the USSR. And so now you have the opportunity to go and see the world. It's it's a beautiful thing. Yes, it's one of the most popular discussions with my uh, family, with my parents. So they're, they are so excited that uh, like now uh, they are also allowed to go outside. And uh, just 20 years ago, uh, almost no one was allowed to. Yeah, well, that's that's fantastic. I love the the fact that the world has become a friendlier place, you know, for Russians and and uh, also for people that want to visit Russia. I think that's wonderful. But let's talk a little bit about Italy now. You've had two years of exploring the Italian and the Swiss Alps. So, what is that like? Um, it was such a huge excitement. <laughs> Initially, uh, well, uh, just to let you know, like Moscow and the central Russia is, um, it's completely flat. <laughs> In some words, total disaster. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, uh, there's no um, significant mountains and even hills. You have to travel for um, like seven or eight hours uh, on a car to to reach some, at least some small hills or. Um, mountains. Uh, so uh, when I got uh, to Italy, it was such an excitement man, that uh, there were mountains uh, outside near our house. Uh, our house is on a small mountain, and uh, we used uh, almost every weekend since then uh, to to have a look from uh, a new. Uh, viewpoint from a new uh, height uh, in the mountains. So we were uh, picking up uh, destinations uh, nearby where the weather is good. Uh, one of the interesting things about the Alps is that uh, even if there's bad weather uh, in your city, uh, you still uh, most likely be able to find uh, good weather somewhere nearby because there are so many valleys and the Alps are pretty high, so uh, there's almost always a place uh, for sun, for uh, snow, and you might experience all that even in one weekend. So we started hiking uh, often together with my family, with my daughter. She was back then four years old. So now she's two years uh, experienced hiker <laughs> and <laughs> That's great. Uh, a lot of uh, friends and family who visit us are very surprised by her skills. 
I think it's wonderful that you have the opportunity to raise your daughter where she can have those experiences. That's that's really cool. Does she enjoy hiking as much as you do? Uh, for the first time, I thought that she is not, but now I see that she is really excited as well because uh, she uh, also likes to take pictures from the mountains. So whenever she sees something interesting, uh, she asks me to give her DSLR camera and she makes photos by herself. Uh, so she, she enjoys that a lot and uh, it's clearly visible that uh, it helps um, develop her skills. Her, she talks and communicate with uh, people much better. So I believe it's very important uh, for children to spend time outdoors to learn the nature, uh, to, to touch the nature, uh, see the animals uh, out there. So it, I believe it's crucial for uh, children development. Right. Yeah, I, I agree completely. It's in the United States, there have been quite a few studies done in the last couple of decades about what some people have labeled nature deficit disorder. And the the idea behind it is that when children are not allowed to connect with nature and experience it, then it creates some problems. Um, the, the biggest issue, I think, is that kids spend so much time just looking at screens and uh, by not connecting with nature and getting out and being active, you know, there, there are all the health effects that come from that. But there are also issues, I believe, personally, with uh, intellectual and spiritual development, you know, when a child's not able to get out and experience nature. And it's a, it's a great thing that you're able to do that with your daughter. But speaking of photography, uh, you are also a photographer, and I was just enjoying your Instagram account before I got on the the call with you here. Um, your Instagram account is IG Travel Addict. So go to Instagram and look for IG Travel Addict, and you can see the pictures that Dennis has taken of the Alps um, in different areas. And you are very good, my friend. These are beautiful pictures. Well, my nickname totally describes uh, my addiction to the travels. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, thank you, thank you very much for your kind words. Uh, I, I was developing my skills, and still, I think I'm pretty amateur in that. But I attribute all that to the beauty of uh, surrounding places here. Well, there's a, you know, having a, a really great subject to take a picture of matters. But your composition and the way that you catch the light, um, these are not just random pictures. No, you, you've uh, definitely developed it into an art form. So I, I think they're very beautiful. So if you want to see what the Alps look like, what traveling through um, Italy and Switzerland might be like, then this is a great resource. There's one interesting thing I learned uh, after starting playing with photography is that uh, it's very interesting and inspirational um, to try to catch the light. You mentioned that the light was good. Well, usually when you get uh, outside before the sunrise, 
you are getting exposed to um, some kind of magical moment of uh, of a sunrise when the light changes from uh, dark to to uh, to bright yellow uh, to pink and uh, to pink first and bright yellow after that. So most of the people they get uh, outside outdoors much later after breakfast in hotel right but uh, but it's so uh interesting and uh, worth uh, getting out earlier um, because people might might see a lot of nice uh landscapes and unbelievable unbelievable pictures because many times i was showing my sunrise photos to my friends and family they they thought that they were photoshopped because they didn't believe believe uh, that uh, clouds sunlit from the bottom could look like that right well they're very beautiful you're doing a great job with it Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Spring has sprung, but there's still a lot of great skiing in the backcountry, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events. hiking in the Alps. I mean, looking through these pictures and uh, just really enjoying them, but how often do you hike now? Uh, I still try to keep the pace and uh, to go at least once a week. And due to my work, I usually spend one work day there as well. So it's like two, two days in a week. So how has hiking impacted your life? Um, you know, at the Adventure Sports Podcast, we're always telling people to to get out there and have some fun, to try something new, to take up a hobby that gets people into the outdoors and, and helps them to be active. And we believe there are a lot of benefits for that. So you're hiking regularly now, once or twice a week at least. How has that improved your life? Uh, I believe the changes are very significant. 
Uh, recently, I read uh, an interesting sentence, like uh, people report that they feel significantly happier outdoors than they do indoors. And But uh, still, we spend less than 5% of our waking hours uh, in nature. So uh, in that sense, uh, hiking and regular hiking made me significantly happier. Uh, that's that's for sure. And for me, time outdoors is some kind of uh, inspiration, motivation, and relax. Uh, so I, I I got energy from there, and uh, it's it's much easier to overcome all the issues and struggles and all the hard things in our world. Uh, like stressful times when you spend uh, outdoors, a uh, time outdoors, because uh, you kind of unplug from all the worries, and uh, the beauty of nature just recharge you. Mm, yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Man, I I'm still scrolling through these pictures, and the more <laughs> I look, the more I see. It's just wonderful. So make sure you do go to Dennis's Instagram account and look at this stuff. IG Travel Addict, really really cool. So Dennis, you are also working on a really cool uh, smartphone app, and I uh, I've been wanting this smartphone app for many 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 years. So tell us about that. Um. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so um, during my hikes, uh, almost all the time, I was interested uh, to to understand what uh, those mountains which I see are. So how to get there, what is there, um, what are the trails nearby. But all those start with understanding what that mountain is. So uh, I needed a way to... Uh, find out uh, what should I Google later when I get back from a hike. So the idea came that uh, why why I don't make an app which would uh, overlay uh, map information uh, on top of the camera screen, so I wouldn't have to uh, to try to understand how that map uh, is translated into the uh, my coordinates so uh, the idea came to make an app which would highlight and label all the mountains visible on the camera screen so we uh, started working on it uh, trying to understand what current um, smartphone capabilities are and it appeared they that those capabilities are pretty decent and it's pretty easy to answer the question what that mountain is uh, using a piece of technology which would uh, translate all the coordinates of your phone, of your location, and a map of nearby mountains uh, onto one screen. And uh, since then, we started uh, testing it. So I spent a lot of time outdoors pointing my camera on different mountains and trying to find uh, flaws uh, in the app. And I still do. Uh, every time I go out, I try to find the bugs there. And uh, sometimes I'm successful in that. And we 
fix them pretty fast. Well, it's really neat. I uh, I got to do kind of a demo with your app earlier, and it's fascinating to be able to. Uh, well, you know, I, I guess I would describe it like this: if anyone has used Google Sky, where you can point the the phone at the sky and identify what the stars are that you're seeing in the in the direction that the phone is pointed, so you can see the constellations and where the planets are and all that. What's really a fascinating thing then you're doing the same sort of a thing for um, for the mountainscapes. So you can point the phone at the mountain and get the information that you're looking for. And I think that's amazing. I don't know how many hundreds of hours I've spent staring at maps, trying to trace the the two-dimensional surface on the map in the right direction to sort out what mountain it is that I'm really looking at and to get oriented and, and, and all of that sort of thing. So I've always wanted something like that where I could just, you know, point something at the mountain and find out what it is. So that's what you've built. Yeah, exactly. That is really, really cool stuff. So I can't wait until it is out and available for everyone to use. When do you expect the uh, the app to be prime time ready? Well, I think the uh, Android version should be out in, in two weeks from now. Um, and iOS version should be updated later this week, and it should be already ready for the prime time. And actually, we already see some people from Colorado using it and to uh, to see the um, uh, peaks of Colorado. Oh, that's wonderful. So the name of the app is Peak Visor, and I assume you can get that off the Play Store. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Very, very cool. Well, hey, guys, he has solved a major problem for backpackers and hikers. So how cool is that? Check it out, Peak Visor. And I am really looking forward to using it, Dennis. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'll be looking forward to your feedback, and we would like to make it much better based on it. Well, cool. Well, since you recently went to Italy and you've started exploring the area, you probably are one of the best people to tell us wonderful things that people can see and do in Italy when they're visiting there. So let's, uh, could you make some recommendations for us? Let's say that somebody has a couple of weeks in Italy. What should they spend their time doing? Two weeks is too small amount of time for <laughs> Italy. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Well, but but I'll try to make some suggestions, and I'll I'll go through uh, my most in, interesting for me personally region is uh, northern northern Italy. So um, I would start with the Dolomites. Uh, very often people discuss what's uh, what's the most beautiful. Uh, part of the Alps is and uh, what's the most beautiful Alpine country is and uh, they can't get to agreement because usually people suggest Switzerland but due to the Dolomites they are not able to get to agreement because the Dolomites are so beautiful they are so exciting to see uh, those rock formations are um, 
not something like in other parts of the Alps. So the one who is traveling to Italy should definitely spend uh, at least several days there and to try uh, at least one hike there. Usually they are so exciting. So um, it's even hard to describe like one of the most beautiful mountains in the world and it's definitely can't be missed um, probably it's better to uh, to do the hike near the lakes uh, there are many mountain lakes in the Dolomites uh, one of the most popular is Lago di Braes uh, Braes Lake uh, it's very beautiful um, uh, alpine alpine uh, scenery there and a very interesting uh, trail to to follow so after that i would go to the lake district of uh, italy it's uh, called so because there are several lakes uh, lake garda garda lake uh, lake maggiore uh, and uh, lake como uh, probably <laughs> Probably you might have heard about Lake Como uh, because very many Hollywood uh, actors have uh, their villas there. Right. So it's kind of popular destination due uh, to uh, beautiful scenery there as well. So I would uh, take, um, uh, well, I would spend several days there and take a couple of hikes uh, on the mountain ridges there. Um, the most interesting thing about that is uh, you might go on a mountain ridge and you would see one big lake on one side and another big lake on another side. And uh, again, it, it feels like very, very special um, place with uh, uh, something uh, not usually seen in other places like mm. big uh, big lakes after that i would probably spend some time in uh, valley uh, de aosta uh, it's popular uh, because uh, the highest peak of the alps mont blanc uh, italians call it monte bianco on their manner uh, it's located there on the border with uh, France. So, again, it's very, very nice scenery. Uh, the highest peak uh, of the Alps is there. Uh, some some glaciers as well. And uh, one of the postcards of uh, the Alps, Matterhorn, is also there nearby on the border with uh, Switzerland. So uh, that's the region where you could uh, get um, a lot of impressions uh, and uh, new uh, new feelings of mountains um, in pretty short period of time. And after that, I would travel a little bit north to Switzerland um, uh, to see um, to see Interlaken. Uh, Interlaken is a small village between uh, between two lakes, uh, and uh, one of the lakes is uh, of a very very bright 
azure color. So when you uh, look at it from the top, from the mountains, um, it feels like something from not from the earth mm. because the color is so bright uh, that uh, physical phenomena uh, is called glacier flower. Uh, so a small pieces of um, stone is being smashed by glacier by moving glacier, and that uh, particles of stone uh, they uh, go into the lake through the uh, mountain river, and they make a color of so bright 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 uh, azure color, and uh, it's. Something unbelievable. <laughs> one of the photos is from one of the, my most favorite photos and most popular ones is from there. And I don't mention all the uh, medieval castles uh, out there on the shores of the lakes. So they, they would spice up your journey. Wow, that's neat. I uh, I would love to go there. I have made it... Um, almost to the area that you're talking about when we were traveling in Europe, but I didn't get to go to the places that you're talking about, so I'm going to have to add that to my list. I think it sounds wonderful. So when you go hiking, how what kind of distances are you doing? It sounds like you must be covering a lot of ground. Uh, usually I try to do one-day hiking. I start, uh, as I mentioned earlier, a little bit earlier than sunset, sunrise, so I usually start at 5 a.m. And, and depending on my uh, planning skills, I end up after 20 or 30 kilometers. But uh, sometimes I happen to do 50 kilometers a day. It's probably better to tell it in miles. <laughs> no, that's fine. 50 kilometers is a long way. So um, 50 kilometers, that would be about... 30 miles. Yes. Yes, wow. but usually that due to bad planning. <laughs> that's that's some long hiking. So if people wanted to visit and do some of the hikes that you're talking about, um, I assume that they could go as far as they want to, but how far do people need to go to get to experience the views and the sights that you think are really worthwhile? Um, there are so many different hiking trails so uh you might uh you might see all that beauty in five kilometer hike you don't need to go far far away uh to to see all that because uh it, uh, it really depends on the place but in most places uh the alps are very very well developed so uh, you are able to go up on a cable car and uh, take uh, a loop trail, circle trail, and it might be from several kilometers to several dozen kilometers, uh, depending on your skills and um, ability. Well, that's something that's really unique about the European Alps. In uh, in Colorado, for example, there the mountains really aren't that accessible unless you're willing to, to hike a good distance, right? But what you're saying is that where you are, you can almost always find a way to get up to a location where you can get the big views, and the technology has opened up the accessibility for the Alps. 
Yes, exactly. And I think, at least in Switzerland, most of the peaks are truly accessible, like you're able to get there on a wheelchair. So, and to, to, to go to the panoramic deck and to, to see all the beauty. So they, they made it truly, truly accessible. And that's one of the best things about the Alps. So it doesn't matter what your skills level is. Um, you're able to, uh, to feel the Alps and uh, get to the, these beautiful places. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. Dennis, will you tell us a story about a really great day that you had hiking in the Alps? Oh, that's that's a good question. <laughs> uh, every time I return from my hike in the Alps, I feel like that was the best experience ever. <laughs> uh, so, uh, probably one of the best experiences was... Uh, uh, one of the recent hikes uh, in the in Switzerland, uh, we uh, uh, with it was family hike. We get up on a uh, get up to the summit by a cable car. Uh, it's called Stanzerhorn. Um, I don't know what what does that mean in in German, uh, but uh, the uh, interesting thing there is that. They have a, a funicular which is called cabrio. Uh, it's like a cabrio car <laughs> with an open roof, so uh, you get to almost two thousand meters uh, with a, on a rooftop, uh, open rooftop of the uh, cable car, and uh, you do that in front of the big lake Lucerne, Lucerne in German. And uh, the most uh, like the most famous peaks in the Alps. Uh, so uh, you see all that snow-covered peaks, uh, the bright uh, blue lake, uh, green hills of central central Switzerland, and uh, all that from an open uh, cable car. And of course. Uh, at the top, there's uh, an interesting uh, circle, circle trail. So you could uh, go uh, around the uh, the summit 
it's very short hike it's just just about two kilometers but uh, you see like 360 degrees view on all the most interesting uh, places in the Alps. So one of the those uh, highlights of that area is uh, a so-called uh, the Alpine Trinity. Uh, that's uh, mountain trio, uh, Eger, Jungfrau, and Mönch. Uh, those are like three famous mountains uh, which uh, are paradise for climbers. <laughs> they have, in, in terms of uh, climbing uh, uh, gradation, they called uh, ultras. Uh, so uh, they are ultra, ultra prominent peaks. They are more than 100, uh, 100 meters. So they are very hard to reach and a lot of uh, uh, alpinists uh, challenge those mountains and and of course they are very beautiful <laughs> so it's kind of very interesting uh, to to walk there and see those famous mountains uh, which are being challenged every day by experienced alpinists Oh, yeah. So tell us again the name of the peak that, that you're describing going up to see all this. Uh, the peak with a panoramic view of all those are is called Stanserhorn. Stanserhorn. Uh, Stanserhorn, yeah. It's very close to the, uh, to the city of Luzern in, the, in Switzerland, which is some kind of ground base for many... Um, uh, hiking uh, adventures uh, in Switzerland because there are many uh, famous uh, places nearby like Mount Rigi uh, which is famous because uh, Mark Twain uh, spent a lot of time there mm, okay. <laughs> and many other famous noblemen noblemen <laughs> spend time there, Mount Pilatus which is a legendary mountain uh, they call it call it Dragon Mountain because there is a, a legend of uh, Dragon Pilu who lived who used to live there, and uh, Queen Victoria uh, Victoria uh, made it a whole way to the top of Mount Pilatus on her horse. So he drove horse back to the top, and. Uh, uh, I mean, Queen of uh, the United Kingdom. Right. So that's <laughs> that's another thing, another highlight of that region. So uh, it's like a- every prominent mountain you take, and someone famous was there, and you follow the steps of uh, such important people in the history of the world. So it's another uh, another advantage of uh, touring there. Oh, yeah, for certain. So I know that with as much hiking as you do, you've probably had some experiences where something unexpected happened and things didn't turn out as planned. So share with us a time that uh, things didn't go right. Well, unfortunately, in my experience, uh, it was way too often when when things didn't go well. 
and uh, I had a lot of uh, many many lessons learned from those experiences. So, uh, for example, one of those experiences uh, and uh, knowledge achieved is uh, uh, you always should to take uh, you should take water with you and. Not only take, you need to drink it regularly. Uh, at the moment uh, when, like after five hours hike, uh, you remember that you need to take off your backpack and bring a, a water bottle. Uh, it's usually already late. So several times uh, I did a long hike and I wasn't drinking properly. And I had severe headaches after that due to um, absence of water in the organism. So uh, that's uh, that's one of the experiences and <laughs> advices I would give to anyone starting hiking. Uh, another one is to take proper clothes uh, with you. Uh, when people start hiking, they usually underestimate the uh, uh, importance of taking proper clothes with them. And uh, I like the uh, quote that there's no bad weather, just inappropriate clothing. Uh, right. So uh, it's better to spend a little bit of time and money on uh, picking a good cloth uh, for your hikes. It would make you much more, uh, uh, much more convenient uh, outdoor. So that's another thing. Uh, one of the interesting things I learned, luckily, I learned uh, from your podcast about avalanches. <laughs> right. uh, I, I heard a lot about them and I was, uh, in my travels, I was getting close uh, to, um, uh, to need that kind of knowledge. I mean, I was snowshoeing uh, during the uh, springtime and that's uh, the moment when uh, it's get not very stable because there are like hot days and there are layers of snow. So it was uh, so useful to listen to your podcast about avalanches and uh, preliminary uh, information about how to predict uh, that and uh, some measures which should be taken care of. So uh, if anyone starts doing snowshoeing, uh, it's better it's better to spend half an hour or hour and listen to that. Uh, it's always also very important to know uh, a local um, rescue number. You don't always you don't know when it might be needed. Uh, luckily, in my experience, it wasn't needed, and it was needed for one of the like acquaintances there. But uh, that uh, knowledge helped a lot at that moment. So, uh, when you hike in another country and in Europe, there are so many countries, so many different rescue numbers. It's better to check uh, which one uh, is or would be working in that area. And probably the last one is never, 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 ever cut the trail uh, unless you are 100% sure what you are doing. So I I try to 
cut the trail like to shorten the distance several times and almost all the times it ended up so badly i had to cross the chasm or something like that right or the the slope was so uh, so steep that uh, i was almost like falling from it uh, like uh, the grass uh, was uh, uh, so sleepy like so and one time i was even with my mountain bike so uh, i was making uh, a long uh, trail i took mountain bike with me and at one moment i decided that i need to uh, to deviate from the trail and uh, to see a view from the mountain top and uh, i got there and after that uh, instead of getting back to the trail i decided to cut the way and i think i spent three hours uh, getting out of there with the mountain bike on my back <laughs> <laughs> because uh, the trail was so narrow and so um, deep that uh, it was not possible to, to cycle. So every time I have a desire to, to cut the trail and get faster somewhere, I remind me about those lessons. <laughs> Sometimes it helps. Yeah, no doubt about it. I uh, have visited with a few different people about hiking off trail and ways to do it respectfully so you take care of nature and, and that sort of thing. And, and it can be done. But what's interesting about that is most people walk about, if, if they have a pretty good pace, they can, they can cover about three miles in an hour when they're, when they're backpacking or hiking. But when you step off trail, it can turn into less than one mile in an hour or, or sometimes two hours for one mile. So it can get pretty crazy really, really fast as soon as you're off trail. So it's just something to think about. If you're unfamiliar with what that's like, you better plan accordingly. Yeah, totally. Well, Dennis, thank you so much for coming on the Adventure Sports Podcast today and sharing with us what it's like to grow up in, in Russia to live in Moscow, to move to Italy, and then to explore the Alps. Um, there are not a lot of people that can tell that story, I don't think. So we appreciate your time today, and thank you so much for sharing with us some of your places that you think people should go to, uh, to enjoy the Alps in, in Italy and Switzerland. So we appreciate that very much. Thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure to me to share all that with the listeners. So I'm very, very happy that I had the opportunity. Oh, it's our pleasure, too. And one more time, if people want to see all the pictures, which are amazing, you need to go do this. It's IG Travel Addict, and that's the Instagram account. And then the Peak Visor app that would allow you to use your phone to identify mountain peaks. I can't wait to play with that one some more. Well, Dennis, I certainly look forward to getting to the Alps to experience all that you described today. Thank you very much for being our tour guide. And for all of the listeners out there, thank you very much for listening. And remember, until the next show, get out there and have some fun. Coming up on Thursday's episode, Jamie Kurtz is here to talk about her world travel experience and how to get the most out of your trip. So until the next episode, get out and have some fun.